We are back in our series called Our Church, and it's a summer series in which we reflect on what it means to be the church as a little C church, Providence Community Church. What makes our church distinct? What makes our church a church that also fits within the big C church, the church universal, the body of Christ, where when you drive down Garland Avenue or Beltline or Jupiter, you may see lots of different churches with lots of different names, with lots of different ideas, but there is something that unites Jesus' church that is much larger than what divides us. And so what we've been doing this summer in the Our Church series is confessing our faith, the faith that Catholics in Nigeria can say amen to, as well as Pentecostals, God help us, in West Virginia can say. Uh, Nothing against West Virginia. But it is what unites the big C church around the world. So, if you can say amen to these words, we invite you to confess our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. These words are doctrine, they're dogma, they're orthodox Christianity, but there are things that unite us even more. So kids, thank you for being here. Go party in the ark. There are things that unite us deeper than these words, deeper than these statements, deeper than this creed, and it is the very Spirit of God And it's a God who's been on mission, and it is a God who has set captives free, and that's what we are looking at this evening. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 4, if you have a Bible, or swipe to Luke chapter 4, if you have a phone. In just a minute, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4 in a familiar passage, beginning in verse 14. But as you're turning, and as you look... I want to tell you about what happened last weekend. Many of you know that Christian and Megan got married. Yes, Christian and Megan. It is now Mr. and Mrs. Gray Herring. And I had the opportunity to celebrate with them and perform the ceremony. It was a beautiful ceremony. It was a great time to party in the name of Jesus and say I do and all that beautiful, fun wedding stuff. It was so lovely. And they also had tacos, so that was a good deal. One of the things that Megan and Christian asked me to do in their wedding was during the vows that they had written, they wanted me to talk about vows. They wanted me to talk about what it is they were doing and what everyone in the auditorium had seen done many times before, and that is two people standing before one another and making really impossible claims. They wanted me to talk about their vows, and they wanted me to explain that while this is their heart's desire, and they know that each day they will fall short, they know that this is something that they aspire to. This is something they want to live in reality 
of. They wanted to live up to this ideal, even knowing that they will fall short. And it got me thinking when I was thinking about these vows that we're trying to live in, beyond just I'm stuck with you till I'm dead, but what does it mean to love, to cherish, to honor, and serve the other? And I got to thinking, what kind of marriage would it be if Megan and Christian or Adam and Amy, or any one of you stood before one another and made these big, beautiful vows to love, cherish, honor, and keep, but then you did none of those things for the rest of your life together. What kind of marriage would it be if we proclaimed our love, but never actually loved? And I think this is a problem with the church. I think this is a problem with the so-called gospel that gets out there that has very little to do with anything on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about a few weeks ago in a believing church, what does it mean to be gathered around the gospel? The gospel that is the good news that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth and all peoples, all peoples, what do I mean all? Say all. All peoples are invited to live, not just say, I believe, not just say, I want to go to heaven, not just say, help me, help me, help me, I'm a sinner, but to live in the gracious and good reign of Jesus and His kingdom. What kind of gospel would it be if we just announced Jesus is king and it is good if we never went out and showed them the kind of kingdom Jesus came to establish. That is not news at all. That is good advice to go to heaven when you die. But Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And we see Jesus in Luke's gospel going, and not just, watch, proclaiming the reign of God, but demonstrating the reign of God. So in Luke 4, we drop in on Jesus' tour of Galilee. It's a rock and roll tour, if you watch Jesus Christ Superstar, which is one of my favorites. He's kind of partying around, and they're dancing in bell bottoms. And Jesus is really popular in Galilee. Galilee was that region that was north of Israel where Jesus grew up in a town called Nazareth, and he was really popular in Galilee. In Luke chapter 4, just to give you some background and set the table before we read it, Jesus was rocking and rolling, and he was saying, guess what? Good news! God's King is here, and the kingdom is available to you. God's kingdom is available to the poor. God's kingdom is available to the meek. God's kingdom is available to all the beat-down, backwoods, broke-down folks, and that is good news. But He didn't just say, I'm the bread of life and I will satisfy your souls. He actually multiplied bread and fed their stomachs. He just proclaimed it and He showed good news of the kingdom. You with me? There's this proclamation, there's this demonstration, and it was getting Jesus a lot of friends. He was popular. He was proclaiming. He was demonstrating. And so, let us read this passage and we'll look at it in more detail. Beginning in verse 14. I'm reading the new NIV, which may be different from the one in your pews. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. Then He went to Nazareth, 
where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to proclaim and demonstrate the reign of God, and he said, Guess what? It all is wrapped up in me. The Spirit of God is on me to proclaim good news. And he didn't just proclaim it, he showed it. And so tonight, we're going to say, what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? Because what Jesus gives tonight in the scroll of Isaiah is a nutshell business card statement as to what Jesus is all about. Proclaiming, demonstrating good news. So what does it mean for us? What does our business card say when we think about proclaiming and demonstrating the reign of God? We have a word for it, Providence people. You know what it is. It's called blessing. Some church calls it mission, and we just wanted to stick with the three B's to success. You with me? You know our three B's to success? To a happy, healthier you, and a happy, whole marriage, and $10,000 in the bank overnight like that if you need some cash? What are the three B's to success? You asleep, hot people. Believe, belong, bless. And it's not just believe, belong, bless. It's a ing. It's a continuous, look, ongoing commitment. It's a, it doesn't just happen by accident. Just like that marriage. You can say the vows, but you've actually got to do work. Spoiler alert, single folks. Marriage sucks. I'm just kidding. Marriage is beautiful. Oh my goodness, I love you so much. Thought she was in child care tonight. I'm just kidding. I love you, my love. I will honor you and serve you and cherish you. I vow to live in light of that reality. Just like a marriage, mission, blessing, believing, belonging is an ongoing commitment. And I've got work and commitment to do tonight in my marriage. It's an ongoing commitment to the welfare of the city and world in which we live It's an ongoing commitment to proclaim good news and demonstrate good news because Jesus who is sent to proclaim good news to the poor has also sent us. If you're taking notes, write down John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. As is the crucial word there. So before we look back at that Luke text, I want to give us our focus statement for what it means to be a blessing church tonight. It's not just proclamation. It's not just demonstration. There is also formation. We'll see that mission begins, blessing begins, not just doing good stuff for the city and world in which we live in, but it begins and is rooted in the very power and work of God. So our focus statement to be, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, is this. 
A blessing church means we are on mission, watch, with Jesus, which is formation. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, he says. But he also says in Matthew 28, what? Behold, I am with you. We are on mission with Jesus, which is formation, being formed to be like Jesus, right? For Jesus, it's his message, it's his news, not ours. And like Jesus, incarnation or demonstration is the word I've been using. Whoops, I think I like demonstration better. We are on mission with Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus. But Jesus didn't go alone. Let's look again at that formation piece. He was empowered and empowered and sent by God. Look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the what? Power of the Spirit. Look then at verse 18. Jesus, reading the words of Isaiah, says what? The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus was in the power of the Spirit. At His baptism, the Spirit became resident and infused and empowered Him to go and preach and to show he was empowered. And when I read the Gospel of Luke in the Community Bible Experience, do y'all remember the Community Bible Experience? Are some of you groaning or rolling your eyes? The Community Bible Experience was that verse and uh, way of the NIV which took out all the numbers and the distinctions and it just read like a book. And when I read Luke's Gospel in the Community Bible Experience, in the first four chapters to this point, you know how many times I circled the word Spirit? Holy Spirit. This is a dead zone. I circled the word Holy Spirit 15 times at the beginning of Luke's Gospel. The thing we have to realize about mission with Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus is that there is no mission that Jesus had or we have without the Spirit of God. God originates this and we participate. The thing is, is that the world for centuries has thought that God was out to get them. But the reality is, Jesus says, I'm under compulsion. I'm being pulled along by the Spirit of God to preach good news. It originated with the Father who has sent me. The Spirit has empowered me. The mission originates with God. We participate. Leslie Newbigin, a famous missionary to India for several years, puts it this way. The quote is on the screen. If God is indeed the true missionary... Our business is not to promote the mission of the church, okay? It is not to go out and say, Providence Community Church is awesome. Come here, sit your butt in a seat, give us your money, and we will continue to expose our brand to the world, right? No. The mission is not to promote the mission of the church, but to get out into the world. The other false thing is if you just sit your butts in here, what good does it do to a suffering, dying, hungry, naked world around us? It does no good unless we be formed and sent. But to get out into the world, find out what God is doing in the world, and join forces with Him. It was the power of the Spirit that sent Jesus to announce good news to the poor. It's His mission. He originated. We participate. And in a word that we've said before, it is formation from the Spirit for mission. Everyone say, formation for mission. Now say it five times fast. Formation for mission, formation, none of you are saying it. Formation for mission, formation for mission, formation for mission, formation for mission. 
It starts with the Spirit of God. It's carried along by the Spirit of God. And here's the thing about the Spirit of God. His mission that originates with Him is distinct from good stuff. It's not just feeding people. It's not just giving them school supplies, although that is good stuff. When it originates from the Spirit of God, it is kingdom stuff. Let me tell you something. Good stuff does not equal kingdom stuff. Because you know what? Our government does really good stuff. They feed people. They house people. They give money to where good organizations meet needs. Governments do good stuff. But what makes the distinctly kingdom stuff is that it originates from the Spirit. And the Spirit's work is, watch, holistic work. It is holistic work. So we can't just get out there and give 100 kids school supplies or with Freeman, 700 kids school supplies and say, Amen, Hallelujah. Unless it is something that is holistic. Unless we can go and not just meet needs, but can we know the needs of our neighborhood and walk with them in a way that is okay on a couple Saturdays to hand them a bag, but wouldn't it be better in kingdom to actually in the months ahead walk with this community hand in hand to pray with them, to watch, even, can we dare say it, share our table with them. Holistic ministry is the kind of nutshell ministry that Jesus was after. So He went to Nazareth after He was popular teaching in the region of Galilee. He goes to the hometown spot where He had been brought up, it says in verse 16. And on the Sabbath day, He went into the synagogue as was His custom. We don't know much about the synagogue in Jesus' day, except that it wasn't the big, beautiful temple. The synagogue was the small outposts that was there for teaching, for reading the Jewish Scriptures, and for worship. And what they did, and what Jesus did, was He would go and worship in here in the synagogue, and they would also invite popular people like Jesus to read and preach. And so that is what Jesus does. Look, He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. This is Jesus' nutshell of ministry. It's not just good stuff, it's kingdom stuff. And it's because he's been formed by the Spirit, and now he's going to proclaim the message of the Spirit. You with me? Verse 18. I know it's hot, y'all. Y'all are doing great. I built a big front porch, but we're going to roll through this next step. So hang on to your hats. Are you with me? He reads and places Isaiah 61 and Jesus kind of riffs and pulls from Isaiah 58 if you're taking notes. And He reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit is on me because it's His mission and He's proclaiming good news to the poor. Now who are the poor? Let me tell you, it's not just the people that we meet in all the homeless ministries that we are involved in. It's not just the people who is going to be handed a school supply bag. In Luke's day, in Luke's world, there were a lot of poor people, okay? In America, we are rich people, but we don't live on a dollar a day, but because we drive junk cars like the one that I was 
you know, barely making it into the parking lot, we think we're poor. But what Luke has in mind with poor is not just the economically deprived. It's not just even the spiritually bankrupt. It is the people that are on the margins of society. They're not just begging for money. They are begging for community. They're the outcasts, the ostracized, and they are the people that have the gall to call out to Jesus. And Jesus has the greater gall to reach out and touch them when no one else would touch them. They're the kinds of people like the woman who is hemorrhaging and was religiously unclean. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't really care about religion. I want when you touch me not to kick you out to be religiously purified and cleansed. Jesus stops down in the crowd and looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He looks at the woman who is poor, not just because she couldn't hold a job. He looked at the woman who is poor because she didn't have a community, because the religion had kept her out. The boundaries that were handed down to God's people had kept her out. And Jesus comes not to start a new religion. He comes to demonstrate the reign of God. And in the reign of God, poor people who are ostracized, not just on the corner in downtown or not just in the shelter at Dallas Life, even the people who are alone in their homes in Garland, Texas, because nobody's coming to check on them. Jesus wants to go to that person, to that woman who has fallen and broken her hip, and her kids live out of state, and he wants to go to her, and he wants to say, daughter, your faith has healed you. I am here, but the problem is this. When we see the outcasts and the marginalized, when we look at the violence in places we're connected to like Juarez, it looks insurmountable. And we say, God, why aren't you going and proclaiming good news to the outcast? Why aren't you doing something? And if we're silent and we shut up and we look at Jesus and we're asking if we're doing Jesus' mission with Him, for Him, and like Him, we may hear Him say, I did do something. I sent you. And that hits us like a ton of freaking bricks. Because when we see the outcast as the hands and feet of Jesus, we miss the Spirit compelling us to proclaim good news to the poor, to touch them and hug them. Do you know how much our homeless friends want to be hugged? And Jesus would hug them Jesus would embrace them. And he is saying, just as the Father has sent me to touch the outcast, to proclaim favor, daughter, child. It's not just enough to sing it in here. It's to go out there because the Spirit of the Lord has empowered us to go and proclaim good news to the poor. Guess what? You're welcome at our table. That is the crucial issue. Now, do we meet needs of the poor and destitute with our finances? Yes. Do we feed the people who are poor and in need? Yes. But beyond that, a kingdom work, a holistic work, is to not just feed them, but to sit and eat with them. 
to welcome them, to embrace them, and to say like he did in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom. Blessed who hunger, you will be satisfied. And may we be a people who go with him, for him, and like him, and be his hands and feet. It's not just the economics, it's the outcast. But if that's not enough, He's also been sent, the Spirit says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You see that? He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Who are the prisoners? Look at the end of that text in Isaiah. To set the oppressed free. Who are the prisoners in your spheres of influence? Who are the oppressed? You know, Luke's word that he uses here, release. He sent me to say, release. The chains are gone. In Luke's Gospel, he uses this word to talk about people who've been released from the guilt and shame and sin that has imprisoned them. Are you imprisoned with guilt? Good news. Jesus wants to set you free from guilt. He also says, it's for the restoration again. Release from your isolation. You're released and free to rejoin the community. He also, when he's exercising demons and mental illness and this serious oppression from evil in our systems and influences in this world, he's releasing them from the captivity of Satan. And then if you look, we'll come back to the blind, but as you look at this idea of release to the prisoners, release to the oppressed, look at verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Some translation says, the year of release. You know, in the Old Testament, God's people Israel had a mechanic to undo the inequality and oppression that we see and we create in our world. And it was called the Year of Jubilee. Have you heard of the Year of Jubilee? It's not just an X-Men character or a fireworks event in downtown Garland. The Year of Jubilee was a year that slaves were released, that debts were forgiven, and that the land was even rested. It was a way to dismantle the inequality that we create for ourselves. And do you know that there is no scholarly proof that this relief, this release was ever obeyed by Israel? There is no idea in their history that they ever actually went through with releasing of slaves, releasing of debts, releasing of the land. There is never any idea that they did that. Why? Because it's too radical. It is too disruptive to the way of the world. But Jesus says, when this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, He is saying, I've come to proclaim the year of release to captives, to oppressed, and it is jubilee time in and around Me, dismantling the inequality. It's fulfilled in Jesus. This is holistic. He's not just setting those people free. Look back up. We skipped over it to follow that train of thought. But Jesus also said in the words of Isaiah, recovery of sight for the blind. So if you're not the outcast and you're not the enslaved to addiction or guilt or oppression or inequality, guess what? You may be a blind person. Now all of you are looking up at me with your beautiful eyes and it looks like you can see me. 
you know, Kyle's got glasses, but he, hello? Yes, he's good, man. It's not just a literal blindness. It's a symbolic blindness. It's a receiving the revelation that in and through Jesus, God's reign has come to bear on the world. And so the thing is, I'm wondering about a holistic ministry. I'm wondering about what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, especially when I think about a guy named John who sat in jail. I'm thinking of a guy named John. His last name was The Baptist. And he sat in jail after he had said things like Jubilee kind of stuff. He said, if you have two tunics, you need to give one. And the earth church had this idea that if you had two jackets, you were actually guilty of theft because you were robbing someone else of having one. I've got so many jackets in my closet, it's crazy. But John would say, if you weren't just going to make your marriage vows, but you're going to live in your vows, if you're not just going to proclaim the good news, but you're going to live in the good news, if you got two, you better give one. Now if we got 20, I think we can spare one. But John is sitting in jail. He had bought the message of Jesus, but he hadn't yet bought the messenger. Even though he said, behold, the Lamb of God, some months later after Jesus is going around preaching and showing this, John the Baptist is sitting in jail and he's wondering, did Jesus really mean release from captives? Because I am captive and I'm in jail because I stood up to the political power of the day and I'm wondering if Jesus really is who he says he is. And if you're like me, even though I can be at one day saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen, glory, hallelujah. You can find me a few months later in a prison saying, Hey, will you go ask Jesus if I should expect someone else? This is John the Baptist who Jesus said, There is no one greater born of a woman. And John's sitting in jail and he's probably saying, Release, give me a freaking break. This jail stinks. Literally, it stinks. And John is sitting here, and you know what Jesus says? Jesus doesn't, I don't think, browbeat him. I think he says, go tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are clean, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And what he's telling John is, take heart, the kingdom is here, though it is not yet fully. And so in that time, before all of earth looks like heaven, it is up to us to be ongoingly, committedly seeking the welfare of not just our city, but the world we live in. Jesus' ministry in a nutshell that we just looked at was about proclaiming and demonstrating the reign of God. What is our ministry in a nutshell? As we close, you know, the questions that we've been looking at this summer are questions of who are we called to be? And when you answer that question first, who am I called to be? Only then can you really get up and say, now what am I called to do? Because you can go and do a bunch of good stuff. But if you answer first the question, who am I called to be? When you look at a blessing church on mission with Jesus, for Jesus, like Jesus, when you answer who are we called to be, you may begin to find that you can do a lot of good things. But what is it that, watch, only our church is called to do? Why? Because if we don't, no one will. Because you know what? 
Freeman Heights does a lot of beautiful things in this community. St. Joseph's Catholic Church does a lot of beautiful things in their community. Five Stone Community Church does a lot of good things in their community. Watermark Church in North Dallas. And the Ethiopian Evangelical Church does a lot of good things. Do you get my picture? But what is it that God has called us to do because of who He's called us to be? Now, blessing has looked like in our church, I think like this, these circles. We've blessed the world well, but we moved to Freeman Heights to be in that community because this is a community we share. And so in this season, as we pray, who have you called us to be? What have you called us to do? I think the centerpiece, the ongoing proclamation and demonstration has to be in our shared community. It's like the center of a circle. The Target logo, registered trademark. I owe them now a million dollars. Our shared neighborhood, we're supposed to be a church on mission with Jesus, formed for Jesus, proclaiming, and like Jesus, demonstrating, and we're called to do it where we live. So it's being a missionary who's cleverly disguised as a good neighbor where you live in Garland, Texas. And it's a holistic kind of ministry where you may begin to share, uh, mow their yard, or just to have a beer with them, or just to talk with them, just to have your kids play together. It may start there. But a holistic ministry is to be ongoingly committed to your neighborhood. And not just your neighborhood, but Providence Community's shared neighborhood. I'm looking at you, Saxe people, Garland people, Richardson people, Lowest Greenville people. I'm talking about Josephine people. Where you at? Holla if you hear me. A new community, folks, have Irving people, McKinney people. This is wild. But we share this space because we're all here right now. And we're all going to be here in a couple weeks giving out bags. We're all going to look for opportunities at The Rock. We're all going to have a rockin' Halloween party. And you know what? We may just call it Halloween because nobody knows what a fall fun fair is. And we're going to try to meet needs in the name of Jesus. And you know what else we do as a church? We not, are not just committed to the city, we're committed to the world. And you know this, we sent a lot of people to El Paso in Juarez. We sent a, fewer people to Russia. Why? Because our church has relationships with these people. And it is good to do this. Because if our church doesn't support Caesar and Raquel, not only do 90 people a month don't get groceries, or a few hundred people a month in uh, alcoholics in jails in Juarez, they don't get fed. Not only that, but if we don't do it, no one else will. And if we don't send $12,000 to Ramon like this little church raised, actually part of that 25000 that we raised in four weeks, are you kidding me? That's still just insane. Is that still not insane? Four weeks, $25,000, $3.64? Lord, help us. This is what happens when our church is on mission with Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus. We have these global partners. It's this relationship, and this is a church-wide thing. But also we have this exterior, you know, uh, sharing a meal with a new community tonight. You know, they serve in a nursing home. A new community now is a new missional community. They are A-N-M-C, a new missional community. There's your name for the Facebook group. And guess what? We also have my wife every Monday 
teaching Bible study for homeless women. We have Aaron Sarkis teaching Bible study for homeless men because we have a few communities that are partnered with the ministry Our Calling. We also have people that are involved at Jonathan's Place. We also have people that are involved in a global partnership in Kenya because did you know that the Kieslers and these people started an orphanage in Kenya? Do we need not, not need to explore and say, how can we help there? Is there something there? But we also have these smaller pockets that may not be church-wide, but they are good things. But they need to be through the question, God, who have you called us to be? What have you called us to do to bring and be good news in our neighborhood, our world, and in our communities? You with me? This is what it means to be a blessing church. But before you love your neighbors, you have to know your neighbors. Are you with me? One of the great disservices of our great little house that we have now is that we have to pull around back, not in the front. We knew everyone on our street within six houses, not because we're awesome, but because we had to see them because we pulled in front. We have to know our neighbors before we can be good news to them. We have to know the poor in order to proclaim good news to them. We have to know the blind to help them see that Jesus is who He says He is. We have to know the addicted, downtrodden, oppressed. Do you know any of those people? And if you don't, maybe we're not with Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus as much as we thought because He was out there touching and loving and eating with them. And this is the hard word. But blessing can't just be me or you. It must be us. And it can't just be words or action. It's got to be that proclamation and demonstration. You've heard preach the gospel at all times, but use words if necessary. That is holy baloney. Because who will know if they've not been sent? And who will hear if they've not heard the good news But also, James says, if you go out and say a lot of stuff, your faith is really meaningless because there are people among you who are starving. And John in 1 John says, how can you say you love your brother when he's naked and starving? They can't hear your gospel over their grumbling stomachs. Are we a church that is on mission with Jesus, formed by the Spirit of God, for Jesus, announcing the good news of His kingdom, and like Jesus, in the way of Jesus, following His footsteps, blessing, embracing, and serving even the least. That is our question that I will leave you with tonight as we pray and come to the table knowing that He never leaves us where He leads us. And He will never leave us. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we even have a space to gather together, even if it is hot. As we were talking with our brother earlier, it just kind of reminds us that we're in partnership with people in Colombia, in Nigeria, in Kenya, in those places where they're just glad to be together and to be on mission with one another. And I thank you that we are on mission with them, deeply connected by your Spirit. So I pray, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the needs of our neighbors in our shared community and world. That we would follow you and not just do good stuff, but do kingdom stuff in your name. We pray that you would set free the blind in our place tonight. Set free the oppressed tonight. 
and that you would speak good news that we belong to you, Jesus our King. We pray all this for our King and his kingdom. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. After serving and loving even his enemies, blessing his enemy, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which was given to you. And it wasn't just you, the church. It was you, the world, given to all. And he said, take it and eat it. Ingest it. Carry me with you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Not just for you, but the sins of the world. That many would come who are ostracized and outcast and drink deeply of the love of God. And so if you are in Christ, we invite you to take Christ into you in the table as we respond and worship, as we eat and sing and consider those ways in which we can say and be good news to the poor. Would you stand as we respond? May we proclaim Jesus as good news to those in need of our good news, welcoming the unwelcome, eating with sinners and outcasts, and blessing those that the world has deemed unworthy of God's blessing. May we not seek power, prestige, or wealth. As new creations, may we seek the power of the Holy Spirit, the status and reward of being known by God. And may we pursue generosity and a store of treasure that cannot be stolen or destroyed. May we serve one another, as well as the poor, the powerless, the least in our world, just as Christ came not to be served, but to serve. May we throw off the weight of selfish ambition and vain conceit, following Jesus into a life of humility, sacrifice, and obedience, even to the point of death, that the extraordinary power of God might be displayed in these jars of clay. May our unshakable hope remain in Christ, whose sufferings we share, whose comfort and mercy is abundant, and whose power raises the dead. Go in peace.